Did it work? Yeah. Oh. <laughs> it's like you missed. You have like a bagel thing on your phone. Oh, of course I do. Did I get it? Yes. Okay, cool. Welcome back, everyone, to In Omnia Paratus. I'm Angela, one of your hosts, here with our other host, Jay. It's been a while since we've recorded, so this feels a little awkward to say, but hey. What were we arguing about last night? So many things. What oh. did you say incorrectly? I'm a Nathan girl? No, 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 not that. <laughs> no, but it was something specific. I was like, no, we have to like start with this. I don't know whether it was book-related. It was something along the lines of the, like, I don't like music thing. That literally could be anything. Like, I don't like music music. I don't check the weather before I go outside. Okay, Karen Smith. <laughs> oh my god, no, I told you. I'm like, you have to write not the question from the podcast, but there was something I was like, you have, no, I'm like, we need to discuss in the podcast tomorrow. And it's not the friendship safe word. No. Okay. No, that is a spoiler. I'm like, I don't remember because I started watching probably, it's the reason I only got five hours sleep, of the like, Keep Sleep Pray Away, the new FLDS Netflix show. Oh yeah, I haven't started that one yet. I started it it probably shouldn't have right before I was supposed to go to sleep, but mm -hmm. like it's fine. I've been having enough um dreams about me meeting celebrities and multiverses that like we're all good. <laughs> no, my gosh, what was the thing? It wasn't about gifts, it wasn't about dating, rules of order, weddings, children, streaming, food. Oh, wait, that I didn't watch commercials? Oh, no, the game guess who? Thank you. Oh, okay. <laughs> Oh, and the commercial thing is off too. No. So for a for anyone out there, please, please, please tell us if you've never heard of the game Guess Who, because I was trying to reference something to Angela for another episode we're going to be doing. And it was like, no, it's like Guess Who, but like you do it with the funny superlatives, i.e. if you any of you guys know or watch the YouTuber Chris Clemens, he did one with a bunch of canceled YouTubers. And so then I was like, was I a YouTuber who got canceled for this? Like, was this the thing? Like, and you make them subjective because we're doing another episode on superlative things. So I was like, yeah, it's like when you do funny ones, it's like when there's like, I made a, I was trying to reference it. Like, it's like, imagine if like I put our entire sorority chapter on it. I'm like, was I likely to get kicked out of formal and I'm giving her all of these things and like, she just didn't get it. And then she's like, what's guess who? And then I'm like, what do you mean? What's guess who? And then I'm like, it, well, one, they were commercials everywhere. And two, just like, it's a very known game, like in the vernacular, like people play this on TV shows. But the weirdest thing was with the line of not, it, so it wasn't, I don't watch commercials. <laughs> the line was, and I can quote it because I have the good memory of the two of us at least in stuff like this stuff. I didn't watch commercials for toys I didn't own. Yes because like if I didn't have them then I had no basis for understanding them and most of them looked really weird like thinking back on it like I remember Bratz commercials and Danimals commercials. See this is one of those things where like when people hear this about you it just helps kind of like form the picture of who <laughs> you are and who you were and why you are the way you are. It's not as if like commercials came on and I was like, oh my god, I must avert my eyes, like well, throwing some, on a blindfold. Well, I mean, some of them use music, so. <laughs> but it was more, I don't know, like there was like the channel jump button. So I would always go through the entire TV guide and I'd find two things that I'd want to watch at the same time. And then I would flip back and forth. So, you know, just regularly flip on commercials. I wasn't really watching commercials and then there just didn't seem to be that much of a point for it because half of this stuff, I didn't understand what it was. And I like, I don't know, I felt like I already had like, like so much and I was already like so far removed from like classmates that had other toys. Like there were some things like when we talked about Polly Pocket, Polly Pocket just like wasn't
wasn't a thing in my house. It was like, I couldn't have Polly Pockets. I couldn't play like a Polly Pocket game online. So most of like the kids in like, I don't know, like fourth grade were doing that and I wasn't. So I was just like, and I'm just like not gonna torture myself with it and I won't watch this. Like commercial jumping is normal. Like I would commercial jump and I saw a TikTok as I always do recently of a girl who's like, did anyone else fall asleep to the Disney Channel because Disney Channel would never have commercials? I was like, yes, I get it. I under, I'm that kind of person. Oh, so I'm not crazy. <laughs> Disney Channel didn't have commercials. Okay, this is why I knew I was gonna get into business and marketing at a very early age because as like during like the Hannah Montana Wizards era, I remember saying to my mom, Disney is genius because all their commercials are to promote their own things, which is how I know Disney is probably the most successful network because they don't rely on advertising from other mm -hmm. companies because they can just use their the time between shows to promote more of their own content. And the movie surfers. Bring back the movie surfers. Oh, I love the movie surfers. Right? But yes, Angela, not, see your thing, channel jumping, not weird. Not wanting to be impatient and watch a commercial, not weird. Not watching a commercial because it's for a toy you can't personally connect to. Like, that's <laughs> weird. Okay, isn't that the basis of commercials though? Like, mo like companies spend millions of dollars like to get the music right, to get the shot right, the lighting, the actors, like all of that to like make you feel like you want to be involved with it. And that just didn't connect with me. So, you know, I wasn't their target audience, so they don't want me watching anyway. What's our topic for today? <laughs> So today we're going to be talking about Colleen Hoover novels. Coho. Coho as she's known on BookTok, BookTube, Bookstagram, all that jazz. And I, okay, so full disclosure, this episode actually came about because we were making fun of Colleen Hoover. Were More we? specifically. Okay, were we? Okay, we're not exactly making fun of Colleen Hoover. We were making fun of It Ends With Us and the most like, the most favorited lines on Goodreads that people picked out from the book. Yes, but like, even before that, I, as the Gen Z cusp, which hasn't been mentioned, I don't know this season yet, so <laughs> gotta go back to that, had been seeing a lot of people talk about like this one Colleen Hoover book, It Ends With Us, and I like Justin Baldotti, I know he's doing the movie, and I was like, it kept getting more and more popular, and I was like, why? And then like everyone was reading it, even people, <laughs> sounds bad, like even people who I don't normally see reading, like influencers who like don't like seem to read, I was like, oh, like who is this? And then I was like, I want to do an episode, Angela and I are like running out of ideas, I'm like, well, we have to do it for July, and there's no way in heck I could read, let alone it ends with us, like, but anything else by the time we needed to record this. So I put it upon our super reader slash audiobooker to go through, at least it ends with us, but she wanted to do six books. So that's what she did. Okay, I did not want to do six books. I felt that it was my social imperative <laughs> as a former English major to try to get into the mind of Coho, figure out her world, see what this is all about and why she has like 22 best-selling books. Well, one I learned about the New York Times bestseller is one that, so again, fun facts from TikTok. One, once you have a New York Times bestseller, you're a bestseller for life. Mm -hmm. Two, there are categories. Mm -hmm. Three, do you know what it means when there's the little cross next to it? Have you ever seen them? It looks like there's like a little cross. Kind of oh, kind of like the Russian Orthodox yeah. cross? No, I don't know what that means. So that means, and I think um, recording artists just start doing this, that means there was a suspicious amount of copies bought and it might have not been an authentic bestseller. Like people bulk bought books. <gasps> oh. At least that's what TikTok says. You can fact check that. But like it's a thing of, like I think they should do that with like albums and recordings too because like I love that. Like I'm not like a big New York Times like reader book person. I just think that's like great that it like, I mean it's sad if like it's true and they just like have the tarnish but like mm -hmm. it's also like it's like 
a nice little thing. Like, ooh, like, did you actually get it? Like, because I like that they put them on the list, but then they get, it's like with remarks, like with. Mm-hmm. No, so I didn't know that. Thank you for letting me know. I'm going to go back through her list now because I think it says that she's had 22 books that have made it on the Times bestseller list. So I'm going to go back into that. But yeah, so I read It Ends With Us. I also read, did you decide Verity or Verily? It's Verity. I read, okay, so full disclosure, I didn't read all of these. I consumed all of them. I also decided for this challenge, I was going to delve into audiobooks for the first time because here's the thing. I read It Ends With Us, Without Merit, and Slammed. Both of those took me, or all three of those took me one day, about approximately five hours. However, did I want to devote five hours a day to a different Colleen Hoover book? No. So I went on Audible. I took advantage of their like new membership, three free downloads thing. And I listened to Verity, Heartbones, and Layla. And I also listened to Slammed again. Because you loved it that much? I, so I read it and I read it on ebook. I didn't particularly like the format. So I thought I would listen to it again in a day because I think overall it charted out to be six hours hours and 32 minutes to listen to. So I was like, I can get through that in a work day. Okay, so overall I've consumed five and a half Colleen Hoover books so far. Which one did you finish? I haven't finished Layla. I'm listening to that on audiobook and I think I'm gonna have to return it because I really do not like the narrator. So it's written from the male's perspective. So there is a man narrating the book. And the thing that I don't like is that when they get to different characters, they do different voices. Oh, so when no. he tries to then voice the female characters, it really takes you out of it. It's it's, it's not good. Mm. I think I will like the story, but can't listen to it. Another thing, we were not making fun of Colleen Hoover. It is a great thing that her books are as big as they are. Mm. I think her mom had cancer. Though I think like great women in publishing, women in book spaces doing for themselves. For me, I was more making fun of like, as most people do, like the fans of Colleen mm -hmm. Hoover. Cause like when anyone's like a big fan of anything currently as I am with a particular show, which I'm trying to like little reference, but like the those who are either involved in the episode around this or who are just <laughs> have spoken to me in the last month know mm. how much it's consuming. They're also doing a reunion that I asked if Olivia wants to go to. It's like a, they're doing it a week in the city. Oh my god. Um, Already like main man is confirmed and the two singers are confirmed. Oh. The three singers are confirmed. Wow. And once like the girls sign on, I'm like, oh, well now I have to go. And to me, if I was their manager because I Christian or everyone, I would do a live podcast recording with them because it's a way for them to get the content. It's a mm -hmm. way for like fans to do it and it's like a way for them like to not break their contracts and stuff. Mm -hmm. We're gonna have to talk about this when we finish this episode. It is the week before Thanksgiving though. Oh. Eh. I mean it's doable. But like I don't want to go if the girls aren't there because I'm not enough of a fan of just his to go. <laughs> Fair. But yes, Colleen Hoover. Angela will be spoiling because I know nothing about these books mm -hmm. other than I think they're romancy. Yes. She... Okay. Are they like Bridgerton? Are they like sexy books or are they like romance in a modern age or not even in a modern age? So it's romance in present day. Some of them are very sexy. Some of them are, okay, here. Some of them are Bridgerton season one. Some of them are Bridgerton season two. <laughs> Got it. There's one that's essentially just like one 
gigantic episode six library montage. Oh! And then there are other ones that are like barely brushing pinkies. Okay. Like walking through the halls. Okay. Do you want to do them chronologically? Um, yeah. So, okay. So I'm actually going to start out with the first book I read, which is also the first book that Coho ever published, Slammed. Which you've listened to twice. Well, you consume twice. Yeah. So I picked it up at my library. I read it and then I listened to the audiobook um, because I was very curious because I wanted to see how everything started out. So a little background on Coho. She was actually a social worker who wrote a book for fun. And then I think like six months later, it blew up and that's how she became an author. In what year? 2013, I think. Okay. So she's pretty new. Mm -hmm. So Slammed is the story of Lakin and Will. Lake, can you spell that for me? L-A-Y-K-E-N. Yes, I think the way that her name is described in the book is that when she was born, her mother wanted to name her Layla and her father wanted to name her Kennedy after a Kennedy, any Kennedy. And so they combined the two names together. How Renesmee of them. Lakin and her mom and younger brother have recently moved to Ypsilanti, Michigan following her father's death. So they've downsized their home, moved to a new state, and Will is her new next door neighbor who her younger brother and his younger brother immediately hit it off. She's super attracted to him, but like trying to fight it because she's feeling super angsty about her life at this moment. And I think within the course of the week, they have like several like really cute meetings where like she slips and falls in the snow and then he bandages her up, and then he finally asks her out, and he takes her to a poetry slam, hence the name of the book, Slammed, where they have this magical, amazing night where they're feeling all of these things, and like, she immediately knows that like, she's in love with him, and then she starts school the next day, and she finds out that Will is her high school poetry elective teacher. No, not doing it for you? I mean, like, we were okay with like, Ezra and Arya in 2013, so like, that was 20, 2010 when that came out. So, mm-hmm. yeah, so they immediately like fall into shambles and they feel like hurt and betrayed by the other because Will assumed that Lakin was in college because she missed the first week of school because they were moving. And Lakin feels betrayed by Will because he never mentioned that he was a teacher. And then her mom finds out and he gets super upset. And then they have to put in this whole like no dating truce and try to figure out their lives together. However, they can't stay apart from one another. And because Will, is actually, I think he's only 21. So he's in college. He's student teaching, like while he's maybe like a year away from getting his credential. So the students that he's now teaching were freshmen when he was a senior in high school. They all know him. They regularly bond with him. They keep inviting him out to meetings. They can't stay away from each other. And so of course things become explosive and ultimately Will and Lakin have to figure out if they can find their way back to each other. So that is slammed. And how do they do it? Oh, well, no. So if people want to read it, they can figure that out on their own. I will now give you my thoughts on Slammed. But I want to know. <laughs> so Aren't I people? You are people. My reproductive rights just got taken away. <laughs> now, I not, now I'm not people either. Okay, so basically, Lakin finds out that in addition to her father dying, her mother is now dying of stage four lung cancer. Oh, jeez. Yeah. Her mom, as her like dying wish, gives her daughter her blessing that she can now date her teacher again. <laughs> 
And so she goes and professes her love to him in the middle of the poetry slam in front of like all of these other like students, parents, people in the town. Do you have the quote from the mother? I don't know. I think that should be the quote for this episode. Oh my god. I'll, I'll find it. But there was honestly a lot going on. Like here's the thing. It was her first novel. It wasn't as if she was like setting out to like really start this whole long genre. But like you can really tell that this is her first pancake. Every chapter is a dedication to one of the author's favorite bands, the Avett Brothers. So it's like chapter one, insert a lyric from Avett Brothers song. Thank you Avett Brothers for giving me the courage to write this story. Did you know that every episode of the show that I'm not naming yet is based on a song title? I did know that. So it's like a thing for this era. Oh yeah, completely. It's it's very cute. Like you can tell that like she's like putting her all into this and it's like just purely for fun. And the thing is, it's like people responded to it. Like within six yeah. months, it was a bestseller and it was pulled. I think she self-published through Amazon and it was immediately pulled into print. Okay. So before we get into your thoughts on the audio reader, mm-hmm. your thoughts on the story. Okay. Thoughts on the story. It's really cute. It's a very classic story of like the forbidden love. There- Where does this go from Bridgerton season one to season two? Oh, this is definitely like a season two. Okay. Um, Because, you like, know, statutory limits. Mm-hmm, exactly. But it does have like a pretty intense scene of an almost assault. Oh, make sure to give trigger warning for all the books. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So overall, I thought the story was good. It's cute. Officially slammed is a young adult novel, I think. What it, defines it as a young adult? Um, Young adult, it's generally like the age group that it's written towards. So it's like it's intended who, to be written. Who falls in young adult? I think it's 14 to 14 to 20. I don't love that range. I'll have to I'll have to officially check it, but I think it's 14 to 20. Okay. And Coho actually has her own chart on her website where she recommends like an age limit. Okay. So now your your audio listening, your first audio experience. Oh my god, so this is my first audiobook ever. I'm really surprised I listened to more audiobooks after this because they did not pick a good narrator. She okay. Tell them, Angela. I myself, I'm dyslexic. Are and you? I am. Is that new? Like is that post concussion? No. Since when? Since like middle school. Do you share this with people? Not really because then it's really confusing to people because they're like, but you like to read and write and do all this stuff. And it's like, yeah, I know. I just have to double check myself. Huh. Yeah. So I'm dyslexic. I totally understand that. I, I myself get confused sometimes when I'm reading things out loud. Maybe a dyslexic narrator of an audiobook isn't that great because she would completely like mispronounce words. And like, I could tell from the mispronunciation that it was just like the word was like said backwards. And so that happened several times during the audiobook so it just kind of rips you out of it and then also if you're going to narrate an audiobook make sure you have the proper pronunciation for all of the words this book takes place in Ypsilanti Michigan she called it Ypsilanti so it's spelled with a y at the beginning but it's pronounced like an i but she pronounced it like a y and you're sure that I double checked it I like googled I'm like is this a real place how did they say this name like how do people who live here say this it is Ypsilanti she said Ypsilanti um there was a character named Javier. She pronounced it Javier. Oh dear. Yeah. So it that one took me a while too because for like the first few scenes that this character is in, he's addressed by his nickname Javi, but she pronounced it Havy. So I thought that it was just a different name, but once she said Javier, I was like, oh, she's trying to say Javier. Did you read it or listen to it first? I read it first and then I listened to it. So okay. I thought that I was lis- 
listening to like an original because it's, I think this audiobook was narrated in 2014. Okay. So I thought maybe I had a reprint. I didn't look at like, it's like overall like publication. Cause you know how sometimes when yeah. something is released, they'll amend it. Yeah. So it was just little things like that, that took me out of the story. So not amazing. Those are my general notes. If you are looking to get into like voice acting, voice narration, anything like that, double check everything. I've only listened to audiobooks by the person who wrote the book. And that's mm -hmm. my preference. Like Barack Obama's book. I listened to Barack Obama read it. Mm -hmm. um, I've listened to multiple audiobooks and I can't remember any of the other ones, but I like listen to the person who wrote. I feel like mm -hmm. they're more likely to pronounce it correct. Right. Oh, Rachel I've, Lindsay's book. Yeah. I've listened to excerpts of Tiffany Haddish's um, memoir, but like I don't specifically count that because like I didn't listen to it all the way through. It was just like certain scenes that yeah. were played for me. But yeah, that's my thing. Overall, I give Slammed, or we're going to do it. Um, I'm going to give it three out of five bookmarks because I felt a little cheesy, but it was cute. Okay. What do we have next? Next, we have Heartbones. This is another young adult novel. This is the story of Bea Grimm and her love interest, Sean Samson Bennett. Okay, let's go through some of the things first. Is there a trigger warning? Yes. Drug addiction, physical assault, juvenile inca incarceration. Um, listen or read? I listened to this one. Um, I think by far this is favorite of the young adult novels of co-hosts that, that I listened to. It was really hard for me to listen to though, just because she really got into the element of the tragedies in this story. Okay. So first of all, something that I think I can just generally note for a coho novel, it generally opens with someone dying, someone who has recently experienced the death of someone they are close to or the death of a stranger that they have just witnessed. So immediately oh, like when you're put into the coho world, you're like taken off your axis. She's taken the characters off their axis. Like generally she's then moving them to a completely new location. Everyone is just like an emotional wreck basically. Yikes. Yeah, Bea Grimm is the daughter of a mother suffering from various types of addiction. She finally succumbs to a heroin addiction. Bea finds her and as her mother's being taken away, she is then kicked out of the only home that she's ever known by their landlord because she finds out that her mother hasn't been paying the rent. So Bea calls her absentee father and asks to come stay with him for the summer because she's got about three months before she starts college. Bea and her father have a really difficult relationship. She basically tries to avoid him at all costs and now she has to spend the summer with him and she finds out he's recently remarried. He has a stepdaughter who's about a year and a half older than her and this woman that he's married is, is far better off than her mother or father ever were. So she's going to be spending her summer in a beach house on the Gulf of Texas rather than in the trailer park she was raised in in Kentucky. Wow. Mm -hmm. So while she's there, Bea finds out that maybe she has more family than she ever thought that she did, but it takes her a while to really knock down those walls because she's put so many in place to try to protect herself. And I think part of this being hard for me is like not having the greatest relationship with my dad. And I think that Koho really writes about that well. I found out from reading an author's note in another book that Koho and her father have a very strained relationship. So I think she really gets into the mind of that well. How do we meet Sam Sum Sum the third? Oh, so Samson, uh, Bea's love interest, they actually meet on the ferry to the island where this beach house is and she thinks that he's soliciting her for sex. Because she's a working girl or? So you find out in the first chapter she has been and that's how she's been surviving. Oh. And. We are pro-sex workers. 
Yes. So that's how she's been surviving. And she sees him on the ferry, notices him, notices her. Like she gets really uncomfortable. She tries to go to the bathroom. He follows her because he can tell that she's struggling and he tries to offer her money. But she thinks because she's being offered money outside the bathroom, she's being propositioned. So she grabs the camera out of his hand, slams it on the ground and runs away and tells him to F off. Come to find out, Samson is the best friend of her new stepsister's boyfriend. And he lives right next door to her. Do they always live next door? No, but that just seems to be also just a general trope of romance novels, that there's some sort of proximity that then forces them together. Well, you told me, Angela, there's a house that you would like us to buy, so like maybe we'll see if we can get any good neighbors in. <laughs> then they spend the whole summer with her stepsister, stepsister's boyfriend, who are trying to subtly get them together. They like have another very Bridgerton season two type romance with like grazing pinkies and whatnot. And then when they finally do the deed, all of a sudden, Bea is ripped out of his bed at 2 a.m. by the police because, come to find out, it's not actually Samson's house. He, and Samson isn't even his name, it's a nickname, I think. His name is Sean Bennett, and he has a warrant out for his arrest for an fire. Does the boyfriend, does the stepsister's boyfriend know this? No. Okay. So they only met, I think, a year previously, and I don't know, there was like something weird around that. And basically, going into this, Bea knows that he's not telling her the full truth. And he promises that on the day that she leaves for college, he will tell her anything that she wants to know about him. But right now, there are things that she can't know, like for her own safety. So she didn't know anything about this. Comes to find out he's been living in the house next door to her illegally. That's part of what he's being arrested for. There's also a warrant out for his arrest for arson and something else. And so all of a sudden, his best friend, Bea's stepsister, her parents, they all turn their back on him, even though he's been basically like at their house every day for the past year and a half. Bea refuses to turn her back on him because he's the first person in her life that she's ever felt a true connection to that is completely there for her. And it ends with him sending her away when once he's arrested and he won't let her in to see him in jail. And so then the story then picks up four years later when he's released and she's just graduated from college and they get back together. Very, very deep young adult first love. Like the name of the novel Heartbones comes from a conversation that they're having about how they feel like their hearts are going to break, but hearts can't break. So maybe they grew heart bones and now those bones are going to shatter and they're never going <laughs> to recover from that. Ew. I know I'm laughing. It's so, oh my god, it's so cheesy, but it was also very cute. If you are 14 to 20, you're probably really going to love this. Oh my god. <laughs> There's no way I'd be allowed to read that at 14. That's the thing. It's like a lot of young adult novels actually like square up on really adult thematic elements that like most adults like don't even experience in their lifetime. Like when I started reading Coho, she reminded me a lot of this other author, Lorleen McDaniel. And let's see, Lorleen McDaniel has written like 75 plus novels in the young adult genre that are all about kids dying. No. Like young adult novels, there's just such a 
there's such an audience for them to be completely tragic and traumatic. And so what a lot of people refer to it as is the feel alive kind of literature where it pulls at you so deeply that like their tragedy makes you feel alive. What's our next? Oh, how do you rate this? And then what's our next book? Um, I give this one four out of five, actually. Okay. I thought that this was the best of the young adult novels that I okay. read. Next, I have... Are we I going in it's... order still? Yeah, I'm trying to go in publication order. Okay. Next we have It Ends With Us. The Finally. novel that started it all. Oh my god. <laughs> I think a character's name is Lily. Yes. That's as far, That's as, far as I get. Okay, first of all, another thing, Coho novels, and then also romance novels. All of the names are really weird. Yeah. Yeah, so this is the story of Lily Bloom and Ryle Kincaid, right? Sure. Okay, I just, I have to say, even without knowing anything about It Ends With Us, just as soon as I saw the name Ryle Kincaid, I was like, oh, this is domestic abuse. There's just something about the name. Oh, jeez. That got me. And sure enough, it is centered on domestic abuse. So this one, I actually did a really deep dive into. Like the others I just read and I had my own opinions. This one, after I read it, after I sat down with my thoughts, I went into Goodreads and I read reviews. I went on BookTube and I listened to people's reviews. I'm never going to enjoy listening to other people talk about their opinions on books. I think that's I think that's just to sit with me. I think that's just kind of your thing. I I think you could make that a more general statement of I don't enjoy listening to other people's opinions on things <laughs> I have opinions on. I think that sums you up pretty well. I will sit with that. <laughs> So you read this one physically? Yeah, I read this one physically. And then other trigger warnings besides domestic abuse? Homelessness and uh, drug and alcohol addiction. Oh, and uh, self-harm. There was a lot going on in this. Lily Bloom is 23. She lives in Boston, Massachusetts. And this is not a young adult novel. Not a young adult novel. This is one of Coho. I think she rates this as one of her most mature novels. Okay. Oh, no, wait. It's actually not. This one is mature. And then there's another one after that. She rates them green, yellow, red. This is a yellow tier. Extra mature. Yeah. Lily Bloom, 23. She lives in Boston, Massachusetts. The night of her father's funeral, she heads home, wants to stargaze, heads to a open rooftop, and runs into Ryle Kincaid, who is up there throwing a temper tantrum and smoking a joint. He immediately mm -hmm. propositions her for a one night stand. She says no. He then continues to pursue her and then gets a pager notification, a, a page? Yeah, a page. And then tells her, oh, I need to go. I'm a neurosurgeon and I'm on call tonight. Of course. This is the setup for It Ends With Us. Six months later, Lily has decided to follow her bliss, is going to open a flower shop called Lily's Blooms, and a woman walking down the street comes in and asks if she needs help setting up her business. Lily agrees, they're working away, she falls, sprains her ankle. Her new associate tells her, oh my god, my brother's a doctor, I'll have him come over. Who is it but Ryle Kincaid? So there are three people at the flower shop. Yes. Okay. Lily, Alyssa, Ryle's sister, and now Ryle Kincaid. But, oh, so Alyssa offered to help set up the shop. Mm -hmm. Okay, got it. Yeah, so now Ryle is back in her life. It's been six months. There's now this like undeniable pull between them, but Ryle doesn't want a relationship. He has no time for love. He says that he is business-minded, focused on his career and success, and has no room in his life for a wife or kids. Lily wants the complete opposite. She's looking for her Prince Charming and wants the whole package. So they start this like new whirlwind relationship. It's all very hot. And because that's exactly 
exactly what you want. Start someone who has nothing aligned with you. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's all like very like hot and like sneaky glances, late night texts, him taking a photo of her and then putting it on like a 70 by 100 inch canvas to display in his apartment that he shares with his sister and her overwhelmingly wealthy app designing husband. Is it a dirty photo? No, it's just, it's her on the night that he met her. He took a photo of her laying down on the lounge chair and he turned it into a gigantic canvas. I'm sorry, but that screams red flag to me. Anyone else? I don't want that. Mm -hmm. So while all of this is happening, Lily then decides that she needs to revisit the novels, uh, the novels, the journals that she wrote when she was in high school, specifically about her first love, Atlas Corrigan, the homeless boy next door that she would sneak into her house and make food for and let him shower. And they built a relationship and fell in love. And all of that was great until her father came in one night while they were having sex and beat him to a pulp. And she never saw him again until she's out on a date with Ryle. And who owns the new hip restaurant that they're going to? Good for Atlas. Right? Good for him. Good for him. And on that night, Lily's sitting there with a black eye. Ryle has a bandaged hand. Atlas watched Lily grow up in an abusive household where her father regularly hit her mother. Can you tell me where this is going? Atlas assumes that he punched her. Mm-hmm. Ryle did punch her. Wait, so how was the jumping? You just, you, I feel like you just like skipped a lot. <laughs> so they, the is it how they do it in the book? Did you just skip your explanation? Or did they sk like time jump it in the book? <laughs> I skipped the explanation. I'm coming back to that. Okay. So Lily and Ryle, in the midst of their hot romance, have decided to move in together. Lily's cooking Ryle dinner one night. He opens a bottle of wine. Lily drinks the whole bottle of wine because she thinks that they're so in love and she's so happy she burns dinner. Ryle, like a dumbass, reaches into the oven to pull out the burning like yeah. roast or whatever, burns his hands. He's a neurosurgeon. He's freaked out about his hands. Lily's drunk. She's laughing and trying to help him. And he picks her up and slams her into the floor. Oh. Mm-hmm. Atlas, now having seen the aftermath of this, as Lily tries desperately to tell him that that's not what happened, she slipped and had an accident. Ryle had an accident. It's fine. They talked it through and it's never going to happen again. He was just freaked out about his hands. Atlas then puts his phone number into Lily's phone so that she has it just in case it's ever needed. Mm -hmm. And is this the first mention of Atlas? When's the first mention of Atlas? The first mention of Atlas is actually in the journals that she's rereading. Which is not until they're moving in together? No, this is when they first start dating. Okay, but this is like, like, they move into in together like very quickly. But like, this is like in the first like third of the book. Like if you read, like it's not in the first chapter, is it? Like this is like, you no, have to get No, this is like the third chapter. Okay. Yeah. Oh, also fun note for all of the journal entries that are written, their letters addressed to Ellen DeGeneres. Interesting. Okay, continue. So there's just so much going on here. Basically, Lily, Atlas, Ryle all have these really heated standoffs for the rest of the book. Ryle continues to assault Lily. One night, it's so bad, she has to go to the hospital because Ryle's a doctor. Up until this point, he's been taking care of her. He puts the stitches in, he resets things. What a Sour Patch Kid. Mm-hmm, yeah. And basically, his whole justification is that when he was younger, he accidentally shot his brother. What? That, yeah, that messed him up for life. So sometimes he gets really angry, black, 
blacks out and doesn't know what he does and he's always really sorry after it. Okay, cool, bro. Mm-hmm. Yeah, one night it's so bad Lily has to go to the hospital. Ryle won't take her, so she sneaks out, calls Atlas. He takes her to a hospital, not the one that Ryle works at, by the way, and then lets her hide out in his home for a while. Then, while Lily's trying to figure all that out, she figures out she's pregnant. She then figures out she still has really strong feelings for Atlas, and she's also really angry at him for never coming back to her, even though he promised that he was gonna come back. But, you know, that didn't happen. Mm -hmm. Or so we think, until Atlas tells her that yes, he did come back to her. He found her when she was in college, but she had a boyfriend and she looked so happy. He spent the whole day watching and he didn't want to ruin that for her, so he left. It eventually ends up. Lily's pregnant. She has the baby. Ryle goes away to Cambridge for three months. Does Ryle know that the baby's... Ryle doesn't know she's pregnant until he comes back okay. from Cambridge when she's almost six months pregnant. At this point, Alyssa, who has been Ryle's strongest advocate, telling Lily that she needs to listen to him and understand him, no. then tells her that she has to leave him. Lily kind of leaves him. He ends up moving in with her for the last like month of her pregnancy. How is that leaving? Drives her to the hospital. Exactly. And finally, after her daughter is born, that is when she says, I need to leave you. She's like, if our daughter ever had someone who hurt her, what would you tell her to do? And very tearfully, Ryle is like, oh my god, I would I would tell her to leave him. I And she's like, exactly, that's why I need to leave you. He's like, but I love you. She's like, but I love you too. But it ends with us. So the us is her and the baby? Yeah. Okay. That is them officially breaking the cycle of generational relationship abuse. So that is how the story officially ends. In the epilogue, you get an additional four pages where Lily is running to drop off their daughter with Ryle and she runs into Atlas on the street. They have a brief interaction where she tells him that, yeah, this is Ryle's baby. I'm going to drop her off with him. We're not together anymore. They part ways. She drops the baby with Ryle. Then she runs back down the street to Atlas and they kiss. See, if you ask me, I don't necessarily think that you need those last four pages to feel like the story is complete. Like, you don't not get anything without having those four pages. My issue is why are you dropping your daughter off with the, someone who's known to abuse people? Exactly. So, here's the thing. I didn't realize until I started talking about it how much animosity I apparently have towards this book. I decided when I was going to come into the recording that I wasn't going to pick it apart that much because it's in the author's note for this book, you find out that Koho and her family, her parents were in an abusive relationship and she witnessed a lot of that abuse growing up. And when I think she was four, her mom left her father, married her stepfather, and they have a much better relationship. So a lot of this is Koho trying to work through the trauma that she witnessed and also try to understand her mother and how she lived in that for so long. Mm. I can't pick apart her experience. Like this is part of her work trying to figure out how this fits into her life. But what I don't particularly like is that it's like there are justifications still being made for abusive behavior. One of the big taglines used like I think three times through this book is there's no such thing as bad people, only people that do bad things, which mm. I have to say I don't necessarily know agree with that but I feel coupled with the fact that there are so many people who are working to like justify Ryle's behavior kind of works against the overall lesson that is being imparted about how you stand for yourself. I would agree that the way I would say it is like people are not born mm -hmm. bad. No one is born bad. You are mm -hmm. however as you grow up there become bad decisions and bad people. Mm -hmm. So like 
I agree by nature no one is bad, but, like, Mm -hmm. there are bad people. That's my thing. I feel like particularly how, with how popular this book has gotten, I don't know if people are necessarily taking away what Koho wants from that. I'm surprised. Well, one, I'm not surprised on the material because, like, you've never watched my favorite Justin Muldani movie, but, like, I've seen Five Feet Apart. The one I like is Clouds, the one about Zach Sobiak, the one who had, like, a viral song after mm-hmm. he died of cancer because of the music and I like Sprint Carpenter. But, like, all his music, so I was like, oh, who dies? Who does the thing? Who like what happens to and so hearing how dark the story is feels right up his alley Mm -hmm. because like that man likes dark material but like with how this is I'm surprised not only one the wide reach it has but the mainstream appeal of it because like I don't know like I don't know if I'm like happy that this kind of material is like so mainstream and so many people are connecting with it or if I'm like because it's so mainstream has the message and like the deepness been diluted to make it more tolerable for everyone to like it. Well, that's part of what I feel happened here. It's like, I think you get homeless teenage love interest, abuse that like Lily witnessed like with her parents. Ryle is an upstanding neurosurgeon who has a glorious sister who becomes Lily's best friend, who's like one of his strongest advocates. Like, all of this stuff, I feel, like, works to make it more palatable for the people who are reading it. And I get that in some ways because part of it is, like, having the audience and the reach in order to try to help people who are in this situation because Koho says that she has had a lot of people reach out to her who have been in situations like this that say that this book really helped them. It gave them strength either to make a decision or helped them remember that, like, they are strong people even though they went through something like this. And I think all of that is good and I think part of having books like this in general is just about helping people learn compassion for those who are in this kind of situation because it's really easy to say that I would never let this happen to me I'm never gonna stand for this but when you're actually confronted with it or you see people who are going through something like this it's really easy to fall into that like justification place like we've I'm not gonna say we it was like but I've heard other people try to justify bad behavior that they've witnessed I've heard people justify the bad behavior they've accepted. Exactly. So it's like it goes both ways. I feel like in some ways this helps you have compassion for how difficult of a situation it is. And I think it helps you like if you've been through whatever party you are where you're the the Alyssa, the Ryle, the Mm -hmm. Lily of it. Like you can you get a perspective on not only the other two the other players in this but you get a better perspective to not make it so personal like seeing an experience you may have either been a part of like on will help you kind of not dissociate poorly but like help you get a better like overall Mm -hmm. context but like oh god that left like a yuckier taste in my mouth than I was thinking for how popular it was right and you see I feel like I hope that the reason that this is so popular is because of Atlas Corrigan like throughout the book like you can see that like he just treats Lily with the utmost love and respect I also don't like the fact I don't know because it's like I'm not I didn't read it I don't really plan on reading it I'll probably watch the movie but like what I don't like is like I don't believe Lily, like Lily's like, like you promised me he doesn't owe you anything mm-hmm. he was a homeless teenager get over it you also could have tried to find him yeah so I don't love that and again I didn't read the book so I don't know if like based on your synopsis because of the way you feel about it I'm like reading that versus like mm-hmm. reading what she wrote but like you promised you'd wait I had no class no prospects no money no like anything to 
do. Like, girl, you're on your own. Mm-hmm. Like, I was also in survival mode. Like, you don't get to pick, but you promised me. It's like, no, I, I totally get that. And I agree with that. And for me, overall, what I feel like is for this book, I feel like maybe there needs to be an opening note as well. Because I feel like what might come from this is that people establish that there should be some kind of like three strike limit and then you're out. Like, oh, like you get three chances to try to hurt me and then you're done. I don't, I mean, I like, I guess. It should be like one occasion and that should be enough for you to know like whether or not you feel safe or not, trust a person and make that decision. Like, I also don't like how she like at the end like shares custody. Yeah. I'm not okay with that. Yeah. My thing is the only way to let share custody is to make him a palatable enough character that you would trust your child with him. And I don't know how you could do that with someone who's done the things you said he's done to her in that book. I completely agree. I think that the only way you could do shared custody if it is if it was supervised. Overall, for It Ends With Us, I think I'm gonna give this three out of five for me just because I feel like Coho's heart was in the right place. She is trying to express her experience in the best way that she can and I think that she generally did a good job with it but there are some things where maybe she had to like work with the publishing company and make things a little bit more palatable but I don't necessarily agree with some of the viewpoints that she presented on justifications for Ryle's behavior. And also there was a typo in the book in the first chapter so that also just gets a book automatically taken off for me because I really don't like when that happens. And rounding it out for the final book of this episode, we're gonna talk about Verity. So Verity, right off the bat, I'm gonna tell you, I'm giving it five out of five books. Wow. I really liked this. I liked it so much. I will, I actually purchased a copy. Wow. I listened to it on audiobook. Best audiobook so far that I've read, I've listened to. I read six Coho books. I'm not sure how many more I'm gonna read, but this is the best one I read. I'm gonna put it up there as like one of her best books. And and I fully agree with the hype around this one. So Verity is the story of Lowen Ashley, who is a young, I don't know, maybe struggling. She's an incredibly self-deprecating person. So we actually have no real basis for whether or not she's a like good, successful, or truly struggling author. But she's brought in to ghostwrite a popular series written by Verity Crawford, who has recently been in an accident and is unable to finish the last three novels in her series. And this isn't young adult. This isn't young adult. This is like red tier, like extremely, extremely adult. Uh, This is definitely... Bridgerton season one every chapter has like a very explicit sex scene like described Mm. almost so no wonder so many people love it yeah there is a lot going on here basically Lowen is brought in by Verity's husband Jeremy to write this series uh they're paying like a half a million dollars for three books so she jumps at the chance particularly because her mother has just died again starting it off with a death also this had a stranger death literally Lowen and Jeremy witnessed the death of a stranger on the street about 30 minutes before they meet each other in person for this meeting. Hmm. It's very strange. All of this happens. Lowen accepts. Jeremy then invites him to his and Verity's home to go through all of her notes. Okay, wait. One more time. Jeremy Crawford, husband to author Verity, reaches out to Lowen Ashley, a lesser known author, to ghost write the last three novels of his wife's wildly popular series that she cannot finish because she was in an accident. Wait, is Lowen male or female? Female. Okay. I know, right? It was it was very weird. So Jeremy then invites Lowen out to their home to go through all of Verity's notes in her office, where Verity is still there, practically comatose in bed. So I'm assuming we're not gonna get a thruple or a polyamorous situation. 
You never know what could have been. While Lowen is there, she discovers an unpublished manuscript of Verity's. Oh, well, here, I'm gonna back up for a second. Jeremy and Verity had twin daughters, Chastin and Harper. Both have died in the last six months. From natural causes? Chastin died from an allergic reaction to peanuts. Harper drowned in the lake outside Did Jeremy of their kill home. his family? Verity killed her family. What? Uh-huh. So, Lowen finds an unpublished manuscript in Verity's office where she details how much she hates her children and how obsessed she is with her husband to the point that when she became pregnant and he started to display dutiful, loving, father-type personality traits, she tried to abort her babies, threw herself down the stairs, like all of this crazy stuff so that she would not have to have them, nor would she lose her perfect body to them because if her body was not the sex temple at which her husband could worship every night, how would he love her? Ew. This is an insane book. Okay. And yes, I'm sorry. I terribly spoiled it for you all. Very did it. So wait, <laughs> how did she become comatose? I'm very That's where it gets a little weird. So the book actually trades off from the perspective of Lowen and from Verity. When Lowen reads Verity's manuscript, you're getting a firsthand account of like, uh, you're getting allegedly a firsthand account of how Verity feels. And so you're reading about their past. Lowen in the present is like getting to know Jeremy. They're having all these cute little moments all the while while Verity sits comatose in a wheelchair because she has crashed her car into a tree and has suffered irrecoverable brain damage. Self-imposed? Verity says Jeremy purposely crashed the car with her in it. Jeremy. How does Verity say that when Verity is comatose? Verity isn't actually comatose. She's oh my been God. faking. So we have a Jenna, I don't know her last name, from Pretty Little Wires. Uh-huh. Oh my God. What? Jenna Marshall. So that's the thing. We don't know exactly who's telling the truth. According to Verity, she wrote a letter and left it in the floorboards for Lowen or somebody to find. In the letter, Pre she writes- post comatose. Post-alleged coma. Okay. Where she says that she's very sorry, but she was planning to kidnap their third child and leave Jeremy. So she, she was pregnant? So they had a third child. He was smaller and he adored her. So obviously she liked him. Right? Creepy. Oh my God. There is so much that goes on in this book. It is, it's amazing. So she leaves this letter for Lowen to find or Jeremy or somebody, whoever, saying that she's really sorry, but she was gonna kidnap their third child because obviously Jeremy was a danger to him because Jeremy found the alleged Manus manuscript of her unofficial biography, but she says it wasn't her actual unofficial biography. It was just a writing exercise that she did to help her get into the mind of the villain for the stories that she was writing. And so obviously all of that was fake and there was no reason that he could actually believe that she would do, say, or think any of these those things. And she loved her daughters. So one night he tied her up, put her into the passenger seat of her car, and he drove the car into a tree and purposely crashed it on the passenger side and then left her for dead, but she didn't die. And when she woke up in the hospital, she knew that he was going to try to kill her again. So she pretended that she had brain damage so that he wouldn't think that she was a threat and that she just needed to figure out how to get away from him. And she'd been seeing 
secretly plotting this for months. And so the whole reason that she's even writing this letter is because now the new girl, AKA Lowen, is suspicious because Verity keeps getting up and walking around the house and Lowen catches her. And Lowen thinks she's like going crazy and everyone tries to tell her that she's crazy. Here's the thing, I don't think Lowen is crazy. No, I think Lowen is crazy because she stayed at a house where she knew that this woman was faking her injuries and she didn't say anything. And she just wanted to like keep reading the manuscript and figure out what happened and then she would finally leave for good. No bitch, you're dumb. Like. Okay, wait. So then like, what's our climax? How does this end? It ends with Lowen sets up a baby monitor in Verity's room that she doesn't see because she's pretending that she's asleep and that her eyes are closed. Lowen sets up a baby monitor, sees her up and walking around the room, starts screaming for Jeremy, shows Jeremy like the proof. Jeremy then goes in. Oh, she shows Jeremy the manuscript. He reads the manuscript. Jeremy then storms in angrily and like is screaming at her to get up if she's really faking. And then he says, I'll go to the police. And she sits up. She's like, no, please wait. I have more to tell you. And then Jeremy strangles her. Actually, he doesn't strangle her. He makes her asphyxiate on her own vomit. Uh, so that way it looks like it's an accident. Yeah. And nine months later, the story ends with Lowen pregnant. She's engaged to Jeremy. They're going to move to a new house. And she finds this letter from Verity saying- Another letter? No, this letter explaining everything that happened and how like it couldn't possibly be real. And then Lowen like rips it to shreds and flushes it down the toilet. So in book talk, booktube, bookstagram, there's like a really big debate going on about who's telling the truth. Like is Verity's manuscript the truth? Is her letter the truth? Like does Lowen more know, know more than she's letting on? Like does Jeremy know more than he's letting on? It's crazy. I even watched some Coho interviews too. And she says that she doesn't know. She had no intention of like writing someone as right or wrong. She says even when she rereads it, she gets confused. 10 for 10? Read this. Sorry I spoiled it for you, but- Well, like, well to go from like, <laughs> everyone's like, read it ends with us, and then read this. Mm -hmm. it's oh, like, this is way better than it ends with us. I know, but like, that's like what everyone's saying. Like, these are her top two books. Reads I'm like, that's like not the same. So wait, how do we get Bridgerton season one with the comatose person and like with New Girl? Her manuscript, she explicitly describes the sex that she and Jeremy are having. Okay. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. But then it's so weird because then, because Lowen has read all these sex scenes, she then starts to like emulate Verity when having sex with Jeremy. When does she it's start really having sex weird. with Jeremy? Like two days before they kill her. <laughs> Wow. Yeah. Did she give like explanation between how she wrote this, what what she took from her life, or what how how Coho sparked this? Um. So with the audiobook, they don't do the author's notes or anything like that. Okay. So I don't know for this one. Jesus. Yeah. Okay. So I think a good way to end end <laughs> end this episode. Well, I'm still kind of here. You said you had a Coho formula in your head for how you would write Coho's next book. So let's hear it. Start with a death. Move the main character to a new city or state. Put the potential love interest in either the house next door or the room next door. <laughs> And finally, oh, I was a little torn on this last one. It's either kill someone else. Yeah, it's either like kill someone else or have someone arrested. Okay. True love ensues. Wow. Yep. Thank God you ended with that one. I know. Out of all of them, I would say read, read Verity and read Heartbones. Heartbones is the one. Wait, no, no, I can do this. I listened to these. Okay, so we started with Slammed, which is Arya and Ezra. Uh-huh. Then we had, it ends with us with Lily Bloom, which I'm really curious how... I, they had to make her 23 because, like, that girl would have been tormented throughout school. Like, no wonder she was, like, a victim of domestic things. Her name was, like, Lily Bloom in itself. They talk about that in the first chapter. And then, obviously... Oh, no, wait, did we just talk about four of them? 
Slammed, it ends with us. Verity, Heartbones. So we missed two? Yeah. Oh, geez. Okay. Yeah. So which Layla, two? I didn't finish. And what's the other one? Without Merit. Okay, wait. Hold on. I need to remember the plot of the one. There are just so many. I'm like, okay. Oh, is this... Ugh, I'm gonna get there. Shoot. I just... The heart... I just remember you saying, like, the heart can't break because there's no... So there are bones and it was stupid. <laughs> oh, gosh. <laughs> Oh, is that the one with the Sam Bennett, the Sean, yeah. Sean Hunter getting arrested? Sean Hunter. <laughs> yeah. Okay. And the girl, um, Bougie Beach House? Yeah. Okay. Phew. Got there. God. So if you want to hear more of Angela's thoughts or start Coho yourself, only read Verity. <laughs> I don't know. Would you recommend Merit or Layla? I would not recommend Without Merit. I think that Without Merit actually needs to come with a huge trigger warning on, like, the front cover. All about? Um, child molestation? Oh, ew. Yeah, it's, it's, like, not... I don't... I think it is child molestation, but also the way that, like, it's navigated and ultimately resolved, which I think is, like, 60 pages after, like, it comes out, is, like, not enough to, like, give it, like, the true assessment that's needed. And also, like, you then find yourself doubting, like, oh, well, maybe it's not child molestation, but, like, it, I'm pretty sure it is. And on that note, thank you for <laughs> listening to our podcast. Don't forget to rate, download, and follow on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. As always, where you lead, we'll follow. So head on over to at an Omniapod on Instagram and let us know what you would like to hear about in the comments. Bye! Do you have a quote to send us out on? It stops. It's over. It ends with us. Bravo! <laughs>